the next mile, the brave side to the black man. It's down to the next child. We will survive in this country wilderness. Swimming through the waters of Babylon like a rebel fish. Jogging specialist, critical and survivalist. Spinning heaven, fire from his lips. Burn slave driver. Welcome, listeners, to Time for an Awakening on Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennia. This is a history and current events program from a cultural perspective. We find this program necessary because Hosea 4, 6 states, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. But we as a people will turn this around. Proverbs 4, 7 states, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom to all thy getting, get an understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your host, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. The number to reach us to join the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com, which is the homepage and catch the live stream. At that location, you can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening and catch the live stream there also. You can go to abibitumi.com forward slash time for an awakening. That's A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I forward slash time for an awakening and catch the live stream there. Broadcasting from Ghana. Or you can download the TuneIn Radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn is a free app. And in that TuneIn search engine, just type in Time for an Awakening. There you'll see the icon. And you can stream your program live, even into your car, if you had the Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, that's Time for an Awakening Radio program with the live stream on the TuneIn app. Drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Again, that's timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Com. Time for an Awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. In that Facebook search engine, just type in Time for an Awakening radio program. There you always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor before you leave that page, just hit that like button. That's Time for an Awakening radio program with the fan page on Facebook. And Time for an Awakening media is also there. Always full of the latest podcasts of the various programs. On Time for an Awakening Media, interesting articles that you can read, download at later times, and share with your friends. Also, check out that Time for an Awakening Marketplace in our partnership with the BB2Me. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 7.07 here in this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening, and our guest this evening scheduled to join us is author, historian, and chair of the History and African American Studies at University of Houston, Dr. Gerald Horn, is scheduled to join us in conversation insights on a black perspective on Ukraine 
<clears throat> among other topics of the conversations uh, that affect black people locally, nationally, and internationally. And uh, we'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies. Everybody is here. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowner's insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked? Suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not what you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. 
History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening at 712 here in the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia at 7th and Arch Street, Brother Rich is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Elliot. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. I'm even really more ecstatic because we I have um, one of the, uh, we have one of the most, uh, for me, uh, esteemed scholars, you know, uh, and, and generally a, a real person as it deals with collecting the history of, you know, a global perspective that we need to have um, Dr. Horn. So I'm, I'm really uh, happy to be engaged in it. Hopefully, hopefully I can be able to um, be informed enough to um, help us for the time for awakening audience um, develop our understanding of what's going on in the world from the perspective of, you know, the Ukraine and United States. You know, Richard, um, this will be an interesting dialogue tonight. Uh, you know, we've talked about this, you know, in the program, uh, but I'm glad that we have somebody of the uh, insight of uh, Dr. Horn with us this evening. Um, and it's kind of ironic yesterday in my place of business, I talked with two people that had came in and both of them mentioned the Ukraine. They brought it up in conversation and both of them, well, one of them mentioned that, you know, we need to send someone in there to take him out talking about Putin. And, uh, that particular customer, I asked, well, why would you say that? And they said, well, uh, you know, the Ukrainians have the r- a right to protect their democracy and they have a right to determine their own destiny. The other customer said something similar. He didn't mention anything about assassinating another country's leader. But I asked them both the same question. And my question to them was, uh, I said, uh, Cuba in the early 60s uh, tossed America out uh, because they were turning Cuba into a gambling prostitution haven for Americans to go down there. So they wanted to determine their own destiny and they threw America out. And they've been under sanctions ever since. I said Zimbabwe did something similar. Now they didn't throw necessarily America out they might have threw American interests out, but they threw uh, Europeans, British in particular, out of the country because they had a right to determine their own destiny, and they've been under economic sanctions ever since. I said, did those two countries have a right to determine their own destiny and determine the direction of their own country? And both of the customers was looking at me like I spoke a foreign language. <laughs> they, had no, they had no clue to what I was talking about, And that's why we do this program, to provide information for our people, the insights on things that's going on 
so they can look at the world and the people that are in it in a more broader light. I'm glad to have us joining us in conversation, author, historian, and chair of history and African-American studies at the University of Houston. Dr. Gerald Horn is with us in conversation. Dr. Horn, how are you, sir? Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> uh, no, welcome to you, sir. I'm glad to have you back with us on top of the weekend with myself and Brother Richard. How you doing, Dr. Horn? Well, thank you for inviting me. Dr. Horn, listen, I, I want you to, um, uh, because the, the, the kind of loose title I made on the program tonight is A Black Perspective on the Ukraine. But what I want you to do is give us a little historical overview before we go into different things in particular about uh, black folks and dealing with this subject of the Ukraine. Give us a little historical perspective. And, and I'll kind of start it out by saying this, and I need you to fill in the gaps for me, because I'm not that versed on uh, European history, so to speak, uh, the intricacies of European history. Um, I'll start it like this. In 1884, during the Berlin Conference, Russia was there. Now, I don't know whether they had direct uh, interest or uh, indirect interest like the United States. They were there, but they had someone acting in their behalf. How do you go from a country that was involved in the scramble for Africa and sat at the Berlin Conference to a country that helped... um, African countries fight against colonialism, help other diasporan African countries fight against uh, Western domination, uh, had the admiration of some of our icons like uh, uh, Marcus Garvey and Paul Robeson. How did that country uh, evolve into what we see now? Fill Fill the gaps in for me and for our listening audience if they had any questions or concerns in reference to that. Well, briefly, there's a basic contradiction in European history. That is to say, the Western European nations, led by Spain, Portugal, France, Britain, and all, became fat on the plunder of Africa and the Americas. At the same time, if you look at Europe, the largest territory is Russia. Most of the resources on the continent are Russian, be it natural gas, oil, gold, palladium, titanium, necessary for jet planes, etc. Russia is about twice the size of the number two country in terms of population, having about 160 million to Germany's about 80 million. And so there was this basic contradiction where the Western European countries were becoming world powers, but were not necessarily the dominant power on their continent. And so that led 200 years ago to Napoleon trying to take over Russia and failed miserably. Then a few years, a few decades later, you had the so-called Crimea War, where Britain, France, and Turkey gang up on Russia. But the turning point really in terms of world history and one of the reasons why our people need to be not only versed with domestic politics, but world politics, not only domestic history, but world history, comes in 1904, 1905, when London finances a rising Japan's attempt to seize Russia. Uh, Japan basically defeated Russia in that war, and Du Bois, 
called that a turning point in terms of the struggle against white supremacy insofar as a so-called non-European nation was able to defeat a European nation. This led directly to the Russian Revolution, which is another turning point in world history, which led to the favorable comments, not only of Garvey, but Robeson, Du Bois, and legions of others, because that created this contradiction between the then Soviet Union and the North Atlantic countries led by the United States, whereby Moscow saw it as in its interest to weaken its foes by supporting those who were fighting against those foes. And that, of course, included Africans fighting against European colonialism. But even before the Russian Revolution of 1917, even the New York Times, if you look it up, mentioned a few weeks ago that in the 1890s, when Ethiopia, the only independent African nation setting aside the neocolony that's Liberia, the 1890s, Ethiopia was fighting for its sovereignty against an invasion by the Italians. It was the Russians who not only armed the Ethiopians to the teeth, or the Abyssinians, as they were called, uh, but also sent volunteers. And, and once again, this was an attempt that was in their self-interest. They were trying to weaken their European foes by seeking to deny them further colonies. We all know what happened in the 1940s, June 22nd, 1941, with Operation Barbarossa, when Adolf Hitler sought to take over Russia and was defeated miserably. And another turning point in world history comes, which we were marking the 50th anniversary of uh, just a few weeks ago on February 2022. Recall in 1972, Nixon went to China to effectuate an anti-Moscow entente with the People's Republic of China, another turning point because that basically led to a payoff to China in terms of massive direct foreign investment, a lot of factory jobs, as we all know today, went across the Pacific, but now it's created this juggernaut, which the United States has little answer for. So that brings us to today, because as I've said on the Black Agenda Report website in an article I wrote days after the intervention in Ukraine, the Ukraine crisis is about not only Russia from the point of view of the United States, it's about weakening Russia so as to better effectuate what Obama called the pivot towards Asia or the pivot towards China. It's really China that's in the crosshairs. And so that's what made ironic the statement of Pentagon Chief Lloyd Austin just this week when he said that the purpose of the United States intervention in Ukraine was to weaken Russia. Well, if you flip that over, and this is what I've been trying to tell these people in the United States, like your friends who you talked about a moment ago, China has an interest in seeing the United States being bogged down in Ukraine, because to the extent the United States is being bogged down in Ukraine, it can't turn its attention towards China. And you should also look at where the African countries are standing with regard to this crisis. You might have noticed the vote at the United Nations General Assembly a few weeks ago yes. when the United States sponsored a resolution to expel Russia from the Human Rights Council, 58 abstentions disproportionately from Africa, dozens of no's. Because the African nations, amongst others, including India, by the way, which is allegedly a U.S. ally, are tired of the hypocrisy. The United States uh, invades Grenada, invades Afghanistan, invades Iraq, wants to overthrow Iran, supports Israel against the Palestinians, and they can do whatever they want. But suddenly we all become, in the United States, angelic and holier than thou when you see this intervention 
in the Ukraine. And I think African nations have basically had it with that hypocrisy and that double standard. And I think it would be a mistake of black Americans to stand on the other side of the barricades from African nations, particularly because if the United States prevails in this conflict, it's not as if we're going to be doing well. And speaking of doing well, you should ask yourself, why is the Biden administration sponsoring 100,000 Ukrainians to leapfrog the immigration line to come into the United States where Haitians are being roughhoused and manhandled on the border between Texas and Mexico? You should also ask yourself, because African nations have been asking, why African students fleeing Ukraine into U.S. ally Poland are being treated like dogs, worse than dogs, and hardly any outcry. I haven't even heard that much outcry from the Congressional Black Caucus. So those are some of the points that need to be considered. Uh, <laughs> Professor Horn, I haven't heard any outcry, basically, from the Congressional Black Caucus. Uh, Dr. Horn, the, it, it's, it, following up what you just stated, uh, this Thursday they had a vote on uh, – the Congress, uh, the uh, Land Lease Act that hadn't been revived since World War II. Uh, the vote on it, the congressional vote was 417 to 10. I think it was 10 Republicans that voted against it. Every Democrat voted for this bill, basically to arm uh, Ukraine and other Eastern European governments to the teeth against Russia. You, uh, I'm, I'm getting a little feedback. I think that's on your end, Professor Hall. Oh, is that better? Yeah, you're all right now. Um, we see that the, the, uh, the Congress, 417 to 10, voted to pass this legislation, this act, to put it back in place, and it hadn't been in place since World War II. Every member of the Black Caucus voted basically for war. Uh, I didn't hear any town hall meetings. I didn't hear any congressmen coming back to their districts to talk to black folks in reference to what is going on. They voted in unison for war. Uh, explain to our folks, because I, I, I want to share some of this these published reports, but I want you to talk about it first. Because we see African nations abstaining from the votes. I think uh, Ethiopia and Eritrea, a couple of countries voted no uh, and taking a non-aligned position in this conflict between the United States and Russia, basically the United States and Russia and Ukraine and Russia. But you have diasporan blacks here in this country that their leadership supposedly speaks for them that said they're on the side of the United States. Uh, you had um, an outcry in Western media saying that 14 world leaders had walked the streets of Kiev to show, uh, 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 you know, uh, support for the Ukrainians. Uh, the 14 world leaders happened to be all European. I mean, it's other nations in this world. So the pressure was on Joe Biden to go there, to walk the streets of Kiev. Uh, he appointed Lloyd Austin and Anthony Bilkin to be in his stead. 
that image, those world images, and that image showing a black man and a European, Wilt Bilkin, they're representing the United States. See, some of our people don't get the implication of some of these images. But this is bad, and it puts our people in the crosshairs because of the leadership being so piss poor. And I hate to use that that uh, that uh, that word, but talk about it from your perspective before I get Brother Richard involved in this conversation, uh, uh, Dr. Horn. Well, sadly, unfortunately, and tragically, I think many of our brothers and sisters abroad oftentimes look at black Americans as chumps. Mm. They wonder why we don't stand with the African Union and with CARICOM, for example, which is largely, as you suggested, non-aligned with regard to this conflict, or in fact hostile, if you look at a country like Eritrea, for example, mm-hmm. or even looking at a country like South Africa, which we historically had been close to, I thought, where President Ramaphosa had suggested that it was NATO that was responsible for this conflict insofar as they were cornering Russia by pushing NATO, this warfighting grouping led by the United States, to the border of Russia by basically seeking to bring Ukraine into NATO. And so one of the many lessons I think we should draw from this going forward is that we should study very carefully what the Caribbean nations and the African nations are doing and try to be in alignment with them, because first of all, these billions, 33 billion just the other day, uh, suggested by Biden for the Ukraine, this is going across the Atlantic at the same time the New York Times had this startling article that flew under the radar because of all this Ukraine propaganda about black unhoused uh, homeless men in Los Angeles dying on the streets like flies as we speak. So you have to ask yourself, why isn't that a state of emergency? Why isn't the Congressional Black Caucus saying something needs to be done about that? as opposed to this alleged state of emergency in Central and Eastern Europe. And speaking of Ukraine, as is well known, uh, it's a sink of corruption. It would not surprise me at all that if those weapons land in Ukraine, some of these chiefs of corruption will be selling them on to Russians, making a pretty penny, or alternatively, that some of the Ukrainians might be uh, telling Russians where these weapons will be sent so the Russians can bomb the supply line. And so this is basically a waste of tax dollars. You would think that the United States was doing fine. You would think that there's no inflation, which of course has been hyped by the fact that there's an attempt to boycott uh, Russian uh, petroleum, uh, which has a direct impact on gasoline at the pump here in the United States of America. Fortunately, a uh, spring has sprung, but by October 15th, November 15th, when the weather's starts to get chilly, the natural gas market would be affected. And if you heat your home with natural gas or cook with gas, you can expect to be paying more, even if it cannot be shown that the boycott of Russia does not have an effect. You can bet your bottom dollar that Duke Energy will say that that's the case so they can raise your bill. So that's what our representatives should be looking into. That's what they should be speaking to. And it's quite disappointing that they have not been doing so. Richard, um, 
you know, we when we talked about this, if you remember, Richard, the conversations when the United States abruptly pulled out of Afghanistan to the point where they had people hanging on fighter jets and planes falling off because they left so quickly and, and left, quote-unquote, Americans over there. And we mentioned that it's something else. If you look at American history, Europeans in particular, that is something else in in the crosshairs and the offings. But we didn't know what it was at the time. But now we see almost what it was because all of those weapons, money, and everything else is now going to flow into uh, Poland, Ukraine, and others to fight this battle. I just wanted to mention that to you, but go ahead, because I know you had some things you want to put on the table for Dr. Yeah. Horn. I, I wanted to, um, I was I was going all over the place, but I was wondering, Dr. Horn, another thing we heard was the troops from Ukraine that were trained here, and correct me if I'm wrong, who have a, uh, I'm going to call it ultra-right positioning. And and I'm not sure, um, were they just the, um, a certain branch of, of the Ukraine military or a certain population within Ukraine that has, I'm going to call it an ultra-right position. And I just seen um, th- what happened in, fr- in the French, ele- French election um, in relationship to La, La Pen, um, um, getting such a broader um, um, turnout in, in the French, France election, which, you know, um, Mitterrand is a concern. What I guess I'm asking, how do you see the European right as it relates to the Ukraine and the United States relationship with Ukraine as far as a part of, if this is true, a part of training um, that faction of individuals um, in Ukraine and their relationship of even possibly some being those of that hundred thousand coming over. If I'm maybe I might be stretching. Um, is there any correlation between the European right right now and Ukraine um, being trained by the United States? Well, with regard to the Ukrainian right, even the cheerleaders of the U.S. role in Ukraine have conceded and admitted that there is a armed group in Ukraine called the Azov Battalion, A-Z-O-V, which has neo-Nazi roots. And they are part of the fighting force of the Ukrainian military, quite frankly. And understandably and knowingly, the United States realizes that Uh, They have these neo-Nazi roots, but they've decided to sort of look beyond that for the time being, just like when they were fighting the Soviet Union in Afghanistan in the 1980s. They were willing to overlook the fact that they were uh, in the same trench with Osama bin Laden. Uh, That didn't come up until September 11, 2001. And of course, 3,000 people died. Now, with regards to the European right, one of the significant differences between the European right, like Madame Le Pen and France, who got 41, 42% of the vote in the recent French election, and their counterparts here in the United States, is that Madame Le Pen, on pocketbook issues, issues like retirement age and social welfare measures, she was actually to the left of the incumbent, the winner, President Macron. Her difference is that she's Islamophobic. 
she does not want any sort of social welfare benefits to go to Muslims, for example. Here in the United States, as we know more than most, the right wing is not to the left of the Democrats on pocketbook measures and social welfare measures like Social Security benefits. They basically are pushing for an apartheid society where those who are defined as white would get certain benefits. And just as in the days of slavery or in the worst days of Jim Crow, uh, those of us who are in black will get the back of the hand. And so that's one of the reasons it's so important to defeat this right-wing surge in Central and Eastern Europe, because inevitably, I'm afraid to say it may put wind in the sails of the right wing. And if you look uh, at the polls for November, uh, it looks as if uh, there will be a surge for the right wing. And of course, if you look at November 2024 and look, think back to January 2021, uh, we know that the Republicans are trying to rig the game so that they will not lose an election ever. Of course, they've already packed the courts to that end. So we have to be much more astute and intelligent uh, with regard to politics and particularly integrating a global perspective into our analysis of domestic politics. Which, which raises, you know, and you, you kind of touched on it. I was, I was going to go somewhere else, but you raised something. You used the phrase that I, I've been um, saying, and, and not because I was really informed, about um, African-American political and geopolitical um, positioning as like being chumps. Um, what what I'm I'm interested from a historical perspective, because it seems that we, because I hear now um, segments in certain um, different areas within the um, with this this digital communication area where they're becoming very um, what's that word nativism, you know, um, only about and it's only in relationship say, to the Caribbean or to Africans that we should just be concerned with um, being African American and. And, and exclusive to immigration and immigration again is only to native Americans, but it's no global uh, understanding. Do, could, is there a historical moment um, where African-Americans global um, outlook um, changed where we're only concerned um, even to the, um, the elected officials to just deal with going along with American foreign policy as it is in spite of our particular history, um, is there a juncture point where that has happened? Or, yes, that's, I guess that's I, the question. I'm afraid to say that there is. One of you mentioned the late, great Paul Robeson a few moments ago. And studying the life of Paul Robeson helps us understand what you call this juncture point. Hmm. What I mean is, is that if you look at the agonizing retreat of Jim Crow, U.S. apartheid, over the past 75 years, what the folks who ruled this country decided to do was do a very sophisticated two-step. The first step was to deep-six, marginalize, isolate political leaders like Paul Robeson, who, of course, spoke dozens of languages, lived abroad for a good deal of his career, uh, had friends and comrades all over the world, but with the decision to retreat from the more egregious aspects of Jim Crow about 75 years ago, the decision was made to marginalize Robeson. His income falls from the six figures to the low four figures. It gets even worse when in 1950, 1951, he files a petition 
at the United Nations charging the United States with genocide against black people, which of course leads to even more terrorism uh, and attacks directed at him. And with leaders like Robeson safely marginalized, then you have the second step of this dance whereby the U.S. Supreme Court in 1954 and Brown versus Board of Education says, you know what? We had it wrong all along. The Constitution actually says that Jim Crow U.S. apartheid is, is unconstitutional. And then you have this era of, you know, the U.S. Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Voting Rights Act of 1965. But that was heavily contingent upon a global scenario because Washington found it difficult to appeal to hearts and minds in an Africa surging towards independence and a Caribbean surging towards independence when people of African descent in this country were treated so atrociously. And when you sideline people like Robeson, many of the other leaders that are then left standing don't even see that basic fundamental connection. And so they think that these acts and bills and voting rights acts are being passed because there's been a change of heart or because folks wake up to realize that they've been treating black people horribly and they need to do better when actually it was heavily contingent upon a global scenario. And now the global scenario is changing again. <laughs> and uh, it seems that uh, if we're not careful, uh, we're going to wind up worse off than we were during the worst days of Jim Crow. Yeah, and, and if I may, Elliot, you know, the one thing that, the other thing that you mentioned, and, and I, I, you know, um, seem to agree, I agree, not seem to agree, in relationship to th that, um, China is really the big concern from a geopolitical and power perspective. Um, um, and in, and in United States, it seems to be a, a, a fight between those who are in support of China and those who are not in support of China. Um, and that, I think that came out, um, with the, um, Biden election in, in relationship to his, his, his son, I believe it was involvement. And I just seen, um, was that Ray, um, Dalio, um, the hedge fund leader, he just um, put out his his book. And I noticed when he did um, his met metric survey, he made, you know, he, he positioned China as the number two power. Um, so which makes me wonder, as we look at Ukraine and, and, and look at Russia, um, the capitalist interest, and you, you laid out what that territory, what kind of natural resources are there, the capitalist interest in that area of those natural resources. Um, how critical is that um, in your mind to these, to this Ukraine kind of move um, for those, for those natural resources from the perspective of the United States? Well, ultimately a significant sector of those who rule the United States to use their verb, they would like to decouple the United States economy from that of China. As you know, one of the reasons why the United States cannot confront China directly and wants to confront China's comrades, speaking of Russia, is because confronting China directly as of today would mean confronting uh, Microsoft and Apple and Ray Dalio, hmm. the hedge fund uh, chief in Connecticut, and Tesla, for example, which under Elon Musk is up to its eyeballs in terms of investments in China. And so the idea is, however, I don't think they're going to be able to decouple, but let's assume that they can. If they are able to decouple, then they're going to have to find another uh, place to exploit cheap labor. And, of course, that leaves the African continent. 
if they're going to decouple from uh, Russian petroleum, which is now being counseled, that means more emphasis on Nigerian and Angolan petroleum. If they want to decouple from Russian natural gas, that means more emphasis on Algerian natural gas. And by the way, the Algerian leadership is sufficiently astute to see this. And so they're playing hardball with the Europeans. They're basically playing the Spanish off against the Italians, which is an interesting turnabout, which may be a sign of things to come in this uh, new century, uh, insofar as we're oftentimes accustomed to Europeans playing one African country off against another. Now you have the Algerians doing the opposite, playing the Spanish off against the Italians. And another uh, point that I should mention, which is that to the extent that this uh, helps to convince Washington and Wall Street that uh, Africa needs to be exploited, obviously we need to be all over that. But I'm not sure if we're capable. I mean, I mentioned Tesla and Elon Musk. Now it's well known that his family uh, achieved this initial fortune by exploiting, exploiting miners in Zambia. Of course, his roots are in apartheid South Africa. And I'm not even sure if our leaders, let alone our intellectuals, recognize the role that these Europeans from Southern Africa who ran away after the apartheid began to crumble in 1994. Not only the Musk family, but Peter Thiel, T-H-I-E-L, another billionaire who grew up in the former apartheid colony that's in Namibia, one of Trump's closest comrades. Uh, he and uh, Elon Musk started PayPal together. They're called the PayPal Mafia. Mafia. And in terms of the venture capital, venture capital, of course, or the investors, who throw fortunes at budding companies like a, an infant Google or an infant Facebook. The leading venture capitalist in the United States today is Roloff Botha, B-O-T-H-A-A, Roloff, R-O-L-E-O-F. That name may sound familiar because his grandfather was the last apartheid foreign minister, Peak, P-I-K, Botha, B-O-T-H-A. So we need to be working across the Atlantic with our friends in Southern Africa and obviously briefing our friends here in the United States about what we're up against, but somehow I don't see that happening. Mm. It's, 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 you know, as you, as we, you know, try to pull this, um, pull this picture together as it relates to where we as African-Americans um, should be positioning our, our geopolitical understanding. Um, we see um, a lot that we need to be clear of as uh, Elliot, when you were talking about, how right now the um, Congressional Black Caucus, um, how they're making these just going along and not informing. Because another thing that I see, um, seeing, you know, um, Dr. Horn, um, at one point it came across of how many ex-CIA officers um, are congressional um, officers are in the Congress today, which just seemed interesting to me as we deal with geopolitics, but um, that's that, that as a side note, but you know, so I seen Venezuela come up um, at one point is South America, you know, uh, this side has always been, you know, America saying that this is the thing. Now are they are, do you see any signs of easing the um, embargo or making the propaganda, the ugly propaganda they um, position that's all, um, for Venezuela that they had made earlier um, because, um, yeah, they had made earlier. Do you see a difference 
in their relationship because of the oil need uh, of the U.S., of how they will approach places like um, Venezuela. Well, first of all, a footnote on your previous point about CIA agents. Pay close and careful attention to Will Hurd, H-U-R-D, a former black Republican congressman from South Texas, also a former CIA agent who thinks he's going to somehow advance in this Republican Party up to and including running for president or perhaps being nominated for vice president. I don't see it happening, but keep an eye on him. With regard to your point concerning uh, Latin America, recall that after the Russian intervention in Ukraine, the United States dispatched a delegation to Caracas, Venezuela, in order to talk about lifting the boycott. But what happened, of course, is that the South Florida mafia went crazy. (laughs) Marco Rubio, Cuban-American, Senator Robert Menendez, the Democrat from New Jersey, uh, they read the riot act to the Biden administration, and the Biden administration decided to back off. But having said that, I do think that if the United States is somehow able to decouple from China and somehow decouple from the natural resources of Russia and get the so-called European allies to do so, they're going to have to make up the shortfall somewhere. And the shortfall will have to be made up in Africa and in South America. The problem with South America is that the Cuban-American right-wingers have a stranglehold over U.S. foreign policy in the region, making it difficult to have a realistic policy uh, towards Brazil, where we expect uh, the former President Lula to surge back into power given the next election, or the other left-leaning governments in uh, South America, such as Chile, even Mexico. Uh, where uh, Lopez Obrador has also decided that he's not going to observe the sanctions against Russia as well. And of course, uh, Mexico is a major oil power as well. And over the 20th century and into the 21st century, the Texas oil men have looked upon Mexican oil as their private reserve. So once again, what we have to do is analyze these forces, decide who are our potential friends, who are not our potential friends, how we can gain leverage against our enemies right here in the United States of America, which should be priority number one. We're in conversation tonight with historian, author, and chair of history and African-American studies at the University of Houston. Dr. Gerald Horn is with us in conversation. We're talking about the black perspective on Ukraine. You can always get involved with a question or comment by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Dr. Horn, you kind of beat me to the punch earlier in our conversation when you mentioned about uh, the majority of African countries with a non-aligned position in relation to the countries in the world and how it it makes uh, a large area of diaspora and black folks look kind of silly when their leadership is on the other side. Let me, I want to share with you and the listening audience some comments made by uh, journal, journalist representatives of four African countries on why they took a non-aligned position. I want you to hear what they said. But first, before I th- say that, let me read from this published report here, this paragraph about the United States. Uh, 
and what they said in the EU and the United States and what they said in reference to South Africa. That's kind of they're singling them out. It says the United States of America has called upon South African government to desist from sitting on the fence and name uh, the aggressor and the aggressor in the Russia Ukraine war. The EU ambassador to South Africa, Rena Kioka, I guess I'm pronouncing her name right, Kionaka, also expressed frustration with South Africa's position. Sitting on the fence is not an option, she said in an email response. Once we figure out what the South African government's stance really is, the EU will consider what the repercussions are, she says. The United States and European Union want South Africa to condemn Russian actions in the Ukraine now and not be on the fence. Russia and the United, uh, Russia, excuse me, uh, U.S. and EU want South Africa to pick a side. So we see here the threats issued by the European Union and the United States in reference to South Africa uh, taking a non-aligned position. Now, before I get you to comment, uh, 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 Dr. Horn, let me play the position of four African countries, Zimbabwe, Tanzania, Mali, and South Africa, in reference to their positions uh, by some of their top journalists. Let me kind of cue this up here, if I can... uh, Get it. Here we go. Zimbabwe is concerned that the UN resolution will not promote dialogue, but rather escalate the conflict. In a statement, the Zimbabwe government, many of whose officials are under Western sanctions, says it cannot support the sanctions regime against Russia. The two countries have long-standing bilateral and ideological ties dating back to Zimbabwe's war of liberation against British colonialism. And so it's unsurprising that in this case, Zimbabwe, much like South Africa, has decided to abstain from the vote. Tanzania has voted neither for Ukraine nor Russia. This has not come as a surprise, actually. Uh, It's a position that it has been maintaining uh, since its independence. Uh, It's a a non-alignment policy, uh, whereby if there is any, you know, uh, uh, political or diplomatic uh, conflicts ongoing, uh, Tanzania will uh, refrain from taking positions and it will uh, uh, assume a a neutral uh, position. And this is what it has happened now. Mali may have abstained from the UN resolution vote for three reasons. First of all, Russia is a close ally of Mali, especially after the recent withdrawal of French troops. Russia has increased military cooperation and support, offering to defend Mali's territorial integrity while denying any links to Russian mercenaries in the country. Secondly, Mali is in a political and security crisis following coups. It has been suspended from ECOWAS, the regional body, and must focus on resolving its own issues. And related to that is Mali's plea to the international community not to interfere in its own political crisis. By abstaining from the UN resolution, they have applied what they are asking for. Support for the UN General Assembly's resolution deploring Russia's invasion of Ukraine and calling for the immediate withdrawal of its forces has been mixed here in Africa. Half of the continent's 54 UN member states voted in favor of it. They include the traditional allies of Western nations and many of the most stable democracies. 
South Africa, however, led a significant chunk of the continent in abstaining from the vote. It has surprised some, like the EU ambassador there. She tweeted her reaction. South Africa's head of public diplomacy responded, accusing the European Union of double standards. He said, let's not forget the people of Palestine, Yemen, Syria, Libya and Somalia. Uganda also abstained, citing neutrality. Then shortly after, President Museveni met with the Russian ambassador to the country. In total, 17 African countries voted neither for nor against the resolution, accounting for half of abstentions at the General Assembly. Eight others did not vote at all. Ethiopia later released a statement urging for restraint. Her four-turned ally, Eritrea, was the only African country and one in five UN member states to vote in favor of Russia. So, uh, Dr. Horn and Richard, you had four explanations <clears throat> from African countries to their journalists on their stance on why they took a non-aligned position. And it was clear. Some of the accents were a little heavy, but you could understand what they were saying about Russia being involved in some of their uh, independence struggles against uh, uh, Western European countries and how they still have a relationship with uh, Russian governments. So the pressure... Uh, is on South Africa. They mentioned in there, they're singling them out in particular about what the United States considers sitting on the fence. And, you know, it, it really frustrates me that when you see these people here, and, and I hate to use that term class struggle, but it's real. When you see black leadership, quote unquote leadership here, that takes a position with the United States and don't give their people any historical perspective on what to deal with because some of our people are not aware historically of what has went on. It, it just bothers me. It, it really does. But uh, before we go to break and, and uh, get some of the callers involved, if they have questions or comments, uh, Professor Horn, uh, talk about uh, what you heard, some of the explanation from some of the African countries. Well, I think the United States and its European allies, they must think, the Africans are as big as chumps as these African-Americans. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Here the United States tries to drive the Zimbabwean economy into the ditch after land reform, after the Zimbabwean government seeks to effectuate an agreement that was made on the verge of independence in 1980, whereby the land illicitly stolen by European invaders would be redistributed. They proceeded to try to do so, and of course, the United States reacted crazily, along with its allies in Australia and the UK, uh, trying to destroy Zimbabwe. And yet they expect Zimbabwe to go along with them with regard to voting on Ukraine. Or if you look at South Africa, everybody knows that the United States was apartheid's biggest supporter until we, in the movement, forced through Congress, the Anti-Apartheid Act of the middle 1980s over Ronald Reagan's veto. And even after that, it's no secret that the United States is still hostile to the government uh, in uh, South Africa, uh, seeking to prevent South Africa from moving towards land reform, which it said it wants to do. And then we know, as I said before, that if the United States decouples from Russian goals, that's going to put more emphasis on South African goals. If the United States decouples from Russian palladium, which is used for these catalytic converters, which are being stolen from cars on an 
every minute, it seems to be, in the United States. They have to rely upon South African palladium. And so, uh, as I said, fortunately, uh, many of our brothers and sisters in Africa, they don't have a case of amnesia. Uh, they haven't forgotten history like some of our folks over here. Wow. Richard, uh, unless you've got something you want to throw in, I'm going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll continue the conversation, and hopefully, because uh, we do have some calls on the line and other callers that might have questions or comments, well, I guess they can do that by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Uh, Richard, you want to say something before we break up? I'll reemphasize a point that um, you said, Dr. Horn, in the sense of um, African-Americans have had Historically, I was looking, I'm going through your book now, Negro, uh, Negro Comrades of the Crown. We have had a, polit- a geopolitical perspective as it relates to world powers since for a long time. And, it, and, and I think it shouldn't be lost in this discussion we're having now, like African-Americans, even though in this moment, we don't seem like we, we're, I don't know what the hell it sounds, it seems like, but to be clear, and as you mentioned about Paul Robeson, we have had a, polit- a geopolitical positioning, and it shouldn't be lost that we have had one. Like, we had just to follow um, Western, um, European, and American um, geopolitical understanding of the world. Uh, I think that that's important to emphasize. Right on. We're going to take a brief break, and uh, when we come back, We'll continue the conversation, and again, you can get involved too by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. When we come back from break, our first call up is going to be Newport News. We'll take a brief break. We'll be right back. Listening to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening with host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services. Representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies. Offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 215- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated.
I transformed a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one of the tangible transformations I've created for entrepreneurs in various industries around the country. If this isn't what you think of when you think of accounting and business consulting, then get ready to take down this invaluable information. Are you an entrepreneur suffering with a stagnating company? Have headache customers, staff, or vendors? Are you rebounding from a loss and need help achieving your unrealized potential? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? Hi, my name is Nataki Kanban. If you're ready to go beyond advising and coaching and get results, then call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions recommend and implement the best comprehensive sales, administrative, human resources, accounting, and operations to help you grow into your vision for yourself and your company. Again, from anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072 or pull us up on your device right now and book your free consultation at www.newbusinesssolutions.com. And just mention you heard this special announcement on Time for an Awakening. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. For 12 years, I and others like me had held out radiant promises of progress. I had preached to them about my dream. I had lectured to them about the not-too-distant day when they would have freedom all here now. I had urged them to have faith in America and in white society. Their hopes had soared. They were now booing me because they felt that we were unable to deliver on our promises. They were booing because we had urged them to have faith in people who had too often proved to be unfaithful. They were now hostile because they were watching the dream that they had so readily accepted turn into a frustrating nightmare. And so the collision course is set. The desegregation decisions and other type of legislation and Supreme Court decisions depends upon changing the white man's mind. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches uh, us that our own mind has to be changed. We have to change our uh, mind about ourselves. In what way? Well, so he teaches us the importance of moral reformation, uh, a knowledge of self. And, uh, for instance, the average so-called Negro, he doesn't think that he can uh, go into business and provide jobs for himself. And because of this, he thinks that he can only get a job from the white man, or he can only get clothes from the white man, or he can only get food from the white man. And we who follow the Honorable Elijah Muhammad are taught that uh, the same thing that the white man has done for himself and his kind, uh, if our people could uh, be uh, wrecked, if, they could, if we could be cured of our slave mentality that was uh, indoctrinated into us during slavery, we would realize that just as the white man can do these things for himself and his kind, we can get together in unity and harmony and do the same thing for ourselves and our kind.
not wondering at all about them. What I'm concerned with the suffering and the pain of the masses of black people. No one wants to pay reparations. The Jews received over $100 billion in reparations and gets $4 billion annually. A Holocaust museum was set up for them on this soil for over $200 million, and they get $221 million annually just for operating expenses. But the Catholic Church, the Pope, the Jews, the Arabs, white people in general, no one wants to pay reparations to these, the sons and daughters of Africa. So I speak to them. I don't speak. I speak to them. I don't speak to the family of those two Jews. There are too, too many of us for me to speak to them. And one of the reasons why I'm always happy to come to this organization, because you're the only one, you're the only black organization, again, that understands to put race first. Race first. Race first. And I've had some white folks to tell me that I was a flaming militant, a radical, or whatever all of these names were that they called me. And I said that I am very pleased that you called me a nationalist, because you could have said that I was a member of the NAACP of the Urban League. So I said, I'm very pleased of the names that you have given. But I said that because we put race first, something is wrong with us. But everybody else puts their own first because God blessed the child who has his own. And so I think that race first is very important. And though we meet in a different venue, we're not at the slave theater, we're not at the church, we're now at the Masonic Temple, it really does not matter where we are physically. It matters where we are in our minds. And wherever we meet, as long as we know that we're Africans and as long as we know that we're black people living here in America, we know exactly who we are. You notice you can put an Uncle Tom in any venue in the White House. You can even put him in his. He's going to still be a Tom. You can put him anywhere you want. Well, it's the same thing with us who are strong people. Wherever we are, we're going to be the people that we need to be. Let me just say this before our time winds up. And that is, I want the people in the audience to go back and look at the video clip from Roots. It's entitled something like Breaking Kunta Kente. That scene opens with Lauren Green uh, sitting in, who was the plantation master, sitting in his office, and then Fiddler comes in and says, um, uh, we don't want to be too hard on the runaway. Kunta Kente has just run away and been caught. And um, so the time comes for him to get his lashing. And if you look at this scene, it's about nine minutes, and study the scene, study the role 
of everybody or bodies that are in this particular clip. And you will find that there is an equivalent role in the political life of our country today, whether it's on the national level or on the local level. There's the black man who actually does the whipping of Kunta Kinte. There's the white man who does the whipping. There's the black man who intervenes with the boss man and tries to save the life of Kunta Kinte. There's Kunta himself who eventually is forced to admit that his name is Toby. And there's, a, there's dozens of bystanders, black, who are watching. This, this is a very powerful thing. And it's an analogy of exactly what is happening in our community today. Let's give those characters names in our community and call them what they are and then take care of business about that. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's uh, 8-12 here in the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guest this evening, historian, author, and chair of history and African-American studies at the University of Houston, Dr. Gerald Horn, is with us in conversation. A black perspective on the Ukraine is the topic of conversations, but you can ask uh, a call in, just ask anything that you want. Uh, it'll be interesting. And you can dial that by down 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Uh, let's go to the phones. Let's go to 404 in Atlanta. 404? 404, are you there? Yeah, I'm just listening, man. I'm just listening, bro. Let's go, yeah. let's go to 215. 215? Hello? 215, yes. Can you hear me? Yes, Yes, uh, good evening to you, uh, Elliot, and uh, uh, Brother Elliot, Brother Richard, and, and also to the great, uh, well, our greatest historian that we have going today, Dr. Gerald Horn. Uh, I joined the conversation uh, a few minutes ago after I always started, and what I want to ask uh, Dr. Horn, uh, did you did you talk about uh, what what's been going on uh, with uh, what what was the, the Ukrainian government? Uh, has been doing uh, since uh, t 2014 and attacking the Russian-speaking peoples uh, of the Donbass region. I don't know if you touched on it or not. If you hadn't, can you talk about that a little bit more? Uh, what what they've been doing, what the Ukrainian government has been doing to the Russian people, Russian-speaking people in the uh, eastern region of Ukraine, basically conducting a genocide since 2014. And then another. Uh, comment that I have that I want you, that I would like you to touch on is sort of talk about is that these uh, that you know uh, Putin uh, has been basically I guess since I don't know the late 90s has been warning uh, 
talk, telling the United States and NATO, warning them about uh, them amassing troops on the on its borders. Uh, and you know, and basically, is what I'm going to ask you, Doctor Horn. Isn't Putin sort of in the same sort of situation almost that Kennedy was in and during the Cuban Missile Crisis? Well, certainly that point has been made. That is to say, October 1962, because the United States had tried to overthrow the uh, Cuban government during the infamous Bay of Pigs uh, attempted coup against Castro in April 1961, the Cubans called upon their allies in Moscow to put defensive missiles in, in Cuba in order to deter a possible U.S. invasion. The United States was willing to blow up the world, uh, that is to say, willing to risk nuclear war. And in fact, the, United, the world came close to nuclear holocaust. Very, very, very close. And in fact, uh, a um, Soviet uh, submarine commander was on the verge of launching nuclear missiles into the United States of America, but chose not to. And that analogy has been drawn because Putin has said that bringing Ukraine, an unfriendly Ukraine government, joining NATO to the borders of Russia was a mortal threat to Russian national security. With regard to your other point concerning the, the Donbass, or the predominantly right. Russian-speaking regions of eastern Ukraine, Russia charges that since the coup that you made reference to in Ukraine, uh, there have been thousands of Russians who have been slaughtered. And what's interesting is that I, I, I paid careful attention to the meeting a few days ago between President Putin and the United Nations Secretary General Guterres, because uh, he was seeking to mediate. And what's interesting is that Mr. Putin brought up the example of Kosovo where the United States, basically against the interests of Serbia, a Russian ally, said that Kosovo could be independent, even though Serbia said no. And as he was telling uh, Mr. Guterres that, and he was drawing an analogy between what uh, Russia was attempting in the Donbass with these two regions that they are seeking to make sure have autonomy from uh, Kiev, uh, Ukraine, I was thinking if in North Philadelphia or West Philadelphia, uh, you wanted to establish Blackistan, for example, and the United States said no, but Russia would help to effectuate that anyway, and you could become an independent sovereign republic. Now, obviously, the United States would not go for that. And so what's happening is that the world is trying to move away from these double standards. Whereas the United States and its allies, they can do whatever they want in Libya, Afghanistan, or Iraq. They can torture, ignore United Nations mandates, drop bombs on civilians, etc. Hmm. But the, anybody who is not in their corner has to be holier than thou, uh, has to be purer than Caesar's wife. Exactly, and 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 to that point, I mean, this this propaganda that our, our news media here is trying to, uh, that puts out that uh, you know uh, when they when they took that resolution uh, when the United States put forth that resolution to condemn uh, Russia, you know, uh, the United States, the, our media here putting out, well, you know, the world, uh, well, Joe Biden says the world 
uh, condemns Russia. Well, that's absolutely not true. Uh, China and India uh, together, they're two-thirds of the world pop. I mean, a third of the world's population. So the world is not condemning uh, Russia, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, not only India and China, uh, you know, Brazil, uh, some, and as you've alluded to, so many other African countries, you know, abstain. So the world is not uh, condemning uh, the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. Yeah, some of, of the countries in our back pocket, but this this propaganda about the world being, uh, you know, con- uh, condemning the Russian invasion uh, of Ukraine, nothing could be further from the truth. I hear that. <laughs> Well, thank uh, thank you very much. Thanks for your contribution, brother. Uh, any? Did you have any other thing you wanted to mention while you were on? Oh no, that's it. Okay. Hey, thanks for your contribution. Hey, Elliot and um, Doctor Horn. It's, you know, in relationship to the the question the caller just brought up, I'm, I'm looking at this article from um, the 12th, the Russian ambassador speaking about um, special military operations, and and it's particularly about. And he says that the um, said that the Russian Ministry of Defense has documented on its website confirming that networks of biological labs across Ukraine in Odessa, Kiva, Depor, Kaprasan, and elsewhere were conducting very dangerous experiments to strengthen the uh, pathogen qualities of the plague, anthrax, cholera, and other lethal. Um, disease using synthetic biology. Wouldn't that also like having troops, um, you know, um, on the borders be a concern for Russia that United States have these kind of labs or using Ukraine to put these kind of labs? And it says 30, you know, biological labs. And not only that, I understand in another article about um, dealing with the whole thing of the cyber um attacks or this putting cyber um, um, security defenses within the Ukraine to protect it. I mean, it seems that the U.S. is not just um, supporting, but it is propping up a, a, a military infrastructure in a lot of different ways. Shouldn't that um, also, we should take that in consideration when we're looking at what the United States is doing? Well, obviously, and, and certainly. Uh, particularly when we consider that during the war in Korea, about uh, 1950 to 1953, uh, there were credible allegations made against the U.S. forces that they were involved in biological warfare on the Korean Peninsula. Certainly the North Koreans think that they have reason to believe that. We already know it's been confirmed in a number of books. I was just looking up one of the titles that after Japan, during World War II, was accused of using biological warfare against their antagonists, particularly in China, that the United States, just like the United States tried to recruit uh, nuclear scientists from Nazi Germany, like Werner von Braun, uh, who was a designer of missiles and wound up in Huntsville, Alabama, where his descendants continued to reside, the United States wanted to recruit uh, Japanese scientists who come to the United States so they could be schooled here upon the ins and outs of biological warfare. So the Russians have good reason 
to look askance at these stories and reports about the biological and bioweapons labs in Ukraine, particularly since we know that just south of where you're sitting in Philadelphia, there's Fort Detrick, Maryland, which is like a witch's brew of all manner of pathogens and microorganisms, et cetera. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, if if I had a journalistic enterprise, I would send a team of reporters to investigate that place because it's very, very suspicious. And it mentions, he said that the results were being sent to the military biological centers in the United States, including the Walter Reed Army Institute of Research, the Naval Medical Research Center, and the Biological Warfare Laboratories at Fort Detricks in Maryland. So um, I agree with you, Dr. Hunt. Right on. Uh, Dr. Horn, uh, let me, because I want to uh, uh, play this uh, other clip for our listening audience, but let me mention this first because I had already mentioned that uh, on Thursday uh, they had a vote in Congress to pass this uh, this uh, land lease act for to benefit the Ukraine in their fight against quote-unquote democracy. Uh, a week before that, Congress approved an extra... Uh, and, well, let me read this again for our listening audience, because we read it before, but I just want to share it and kind of preference uh, what I'm about to play. Uh, the, uh, the administration will ask Congress to approve $500 million to cover the cost of Ukrainians, Ukraine's basic government services, including pensions, salaries, and aid programs for the population. The Treasury Department said the aid package would be in addition to an another $800 million uh, that Biden proposed on Thursday, which would also require congressional approval. Biden says Thursday the U.S. has all, uh, Biden said on Thursday the, the uh, to the U.S. Uh, has almost exhausted the 13.6 billion in Ukraine aid support approved in March. Any new federal spending must be approved by the House and Senate before the president can sign the bill and send it to the, and send out the money. This money, the government can help use to stabilize the economy to support communities that have been devastated by Russian onslaught and pay brave workers that continue to provide essential services to the people of the Ukraine, Biden says in his remarks to the White House on Thursday. So we see here that, and this was last Thursday, this Thursday they approved this this bill to send uh, basically rubber stamp sending weapons. Now, last Thursday they approved this money billions of dollars to support salaries, pensions, and aid programs uh, and to support communities, according to Biden, that's been devastated in Russia, Ukrainians. This vote that just passed uh, in Congress Thursday, which every Democrat voted yay, and I'm not concerned about every Democrat, I'm focusing now on the CBC, with no abstentions, uh, uh, no no votes, no discussion with the population that they supposed to represent. And I'll just use one example of huge problems that face African Americans, because according to the Urban League, uh, we're under attack in their recent report 
on the state of black America, that we're under siege. In fact, that's what is stated by uh, Morial in the Urban League. Let me play this clip for our listening audience of uh, an interaction between, it was a big protest, homeless protest. Now, Los Angeles is 8% black, but they're over 40% of the homeless population in Los Angeles. And there was a a confrontation between homeless people and Maxine Waters. Now, let me play this for our listening audience so you can see, you know, because, you know, when they talk about these elected officials, it's it's always in glowing terms or anti-Maxine and things like that, and they kind of talk about the work that they may have done 20 or 30 years ago, but we're talking about now and the problems our people face now. Let me play this exchange here so you can hear what is stated. And listen closely to what she says and the people that's uh, screaming in the background. Another another location where they're taking after. There are any more locations than this one? There might be so many people out here. One minute. I want everybody to go home. And I want We don't got no home. That's why we're here. Miss Macinito. Miss Waters, come home. We got to go too. Just a moment. Just a moment. Nothing is going to happen anymore today. But what we're gonna well that's what we give give the that's why I'm here and so I will be downtown with Lassa. I will get the housing authority. That's why they came out here today. I made them come out here. And I'm gonna go and you need to know why they they're failing because Blanca Jimenez repeated we gave her several meeting requests for you concerning this in Lassa for years. There's nobody in Now, for our listening audience, you could hear some of the interaction and some of the statements that was made by Maxine Waters. And one of them, she cussed, cussed at the audience, but they kind of blurted it out on the, uh, the video when she said, there's nobody working for you. I don't know what she said, but it was blurted out. But you could hear the interaction between her and a lot of the people. And this is similar to what happens when you get a lot of our people dissatisfied and they come out and have mass protests. You'll either have the powers that be or send black clergy or black politicians out to kind of get them to calm down and go home. The only reason and the only thing that was different here, she told the people to go home and the people responded to her saying, we don't have a home. So you got this, you know, and, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I use that term before. I don't like to use it, but it's real. You got a real class struggle between these black elected officials who have become political entrepreneurs, as Richard says, and have become very wealthy and what's happening to the masses of black people. So you got a homeless explosion in this country, and I'm just using that as one example. And you got CBC in unison 
voting to send money, weapons, and everything else to the Ukraine to bolster a European society when your people are sleeping in the streets. There's something wrong with that picture uh, of people. There's something wrong with that picture, and we can do something about it. And just sit uh, as, We don't have to just sit and complain about these people. We can do something about them. Let me uh, go to and bring a couple callers, unless you want to say something, Dr. Horn. No, no, no. I, I think you're right on the money. And uh, just to sum up, the problem with the Biden administration and those that are enabling that administration is that they've moved from build back better to build Ukraine back better. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, I play a clip here that Malcolm says, and he said this over 50 years ago. He said, you put them first and they put you last because you're a chump. And you said that earlier. You said that earlier, Dr. Horn. Those are haunting words from our elder over 50 years ago. And we don't have to be chumps, people. We don't have to be chumps. We don't have to sit back and be cheerleaders for all this ceremonial stuff. Oh, look at the Jacoby. What's her name, Richard? Jacoby Brown. What the the one that just went into the Supreme Court? Katanji Brown Jackson. Oh, Barack Obama. Oh, look at this one. Oh, look at that one. Oh, look at Lloyd Austin. Oh, look at the, uh, 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 what's the name of the head of the U.N.? We don't have to sit back and be cheerleaders for these people because they're not looking out for your best interest. Let's grab a call here. Let's go to 215. 215? Good evening, Brother Elliot, uh, Brother Richard, and just like my previous uh, Brother James and stuff. It's an honor to talk to you, Dr. Horn. How are you, Brother? You, you, you call, you, your line is a little uh, scratchy there, Joe. Can you hear me, you hear me a little better now, Ellie? Yes, I can. Good. Yeah. How, how you doing, Dr. Horn? It's all good. Uh, praise be to our line. You know, Dr. Horn, um, I'm going to talk, talk all about the Ukraine situation and the, and the, and the, and the black caucus and everything, but a, a caller, to, to a, a regular caller to this station who's a supporter of Time from the Wicked and stuff, he made a point to me the other week. It's an aside and stuff, but it, I just thought it was a twist of irony. He was telling me, he said, Brother Joe, don't forget back in 2004, he was a white Ukrainian uh, uh, Caucasian young man who had just, if, 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 if I remember correctly, he had just became a citizen. He had just came from Ukraine. He was the one, Dr. Horn, that murdered Bill Cosby's son. Young white Ukrainian boy, and I'm saying to myself, I said, can you imagine the 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 the? Because I've talked to the caller, he made me he he paid he paid call later on the night. I said, imagine if there had been Robert Redford or one of the white actors and a young black man from Haiti who had just came over here and murdered them to you know, a, a white actor's son while he was changing the car tire. Can you imagine the uproar? And I remember back when that happened, uh, Doctor Horn, it was hardly outrage from from the white community and stuff or or anybody. You know what I mean? But it just shows you how the double standard is in this country, you know what I mean? Just something just that I thought I'd bring up before I you know, delve into the uh, training situation. You know, Dr. Horn, the black caucus, and you mentioned how, how, how they, and Ellie has talked about the black misleadership, because, you know, the black caucus, and I like certain individual members of the black caucus, but as a body, Dr. Horn, they are, they are a big disappointment, because they just always on the wrong side of things. They always on the wrong side of, of, of their people and stuff. Like, for example, when that murderer, that war criminal who should be in jail, Benjamin Netanyahu, when he used to come to the United States when he was the prime minister of Israel, not that the current one is any better, 
you know, he's just a he's just a more of a laid back version of Netanyahu. But anyway, when he used to come to the to the United States and stuff, when they said that that the APEC uh, conference and stuff, which I which I which I which, which by the way, Dr. when I even made a cinnamon out of it, I say APEC stands for Annual Israeli Pandering and an ass kissing uh, conference. That's but that was my name for the APEC. But anyway, when they used to come here, when not not used to come in and address both houses of Congress, you had all these black caucus members sitting up there chanting for this guy, you know, like he's some kind of friend of black people. He's a cold-blooded bigot. You know, he grew up right here in Sheltonham, right outside of Philadelphia, and they used to be up there chanting for him just with their white colleagues on both sides of the aisle. And I always said to myself, why is y'all Negroes chanting for him? He don't give a damn about black people. See, but again, it just shows you, like Brother Elliot said, how they don't even represent the interests of their people, man. They, here, 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 Israel has been one of the biggest supporters of South Africa apartheid, all kinds of rotten, dirty stuff they do, not to our Palestinian brothers and sisters, but to our, to our black brothers and sisters in South Africa and elsewhere and stuff. But yet they out there, they did right chance for them and stuff, you know? I mean, and recently, Dr. Holm, when Biden hit the State of the Union, you saw them niggas running after Joe Biden like, 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 like he was a rock star. You know what I mean? It was embarrassing, man. They running after this white man trying to get his autograph or a selfie with him. I'm saying, please, come on, man. What is wrong with y'all, man? And, 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 and see, the thing, Dr. Holm, these images are shown around the world to see these black men and women chasing after this old white man like that who has who by the way has no good history in relation to black people you know what i mean i mean we can all talk about how bad trump is we all know how bad trump is and and and, and all this we, we get that but biden but biden history with black people is no better he might say you can make a case that might even be worse when you consider his relationship with james eastland the racist senator from uh from from back in the day that he was friends with a cold-blooded bigot a strong thurman who referred to joe biden as his as, as his son I mean, you can just go on and on, Dr. Horn, you know what I mean? So, I mean, we, we just always seem like we always, this black caucus was supposed to represent us. They say you're always on the wrong side of history when it comes to our people, man. You know, it, it is frustrating, you know what I mean? I mean, if we can see these things, and these not dumb, dumb, dumb black men and women, Dr. Horn, you would think we should be able to see these things, you know? Hey, what can I say? I mean, you said it all. <laughs> You know, it, 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 like I said, Dr. Horn, it just, it just gets me, like I say, it's, 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 it's like they play out people for stupid, man. I mean, I, you know, the Caucasian politicians, we know how they are, but it's just like they just don't have the interest of our people. And, and because of our, of our political naivete or ignorance, if you will, we continue to elect these individuals over and over again. And, and we wonder why nothing gets done because Dr. Horn, and I say these last things, a couple of things, I'm gone. You know, we say this, you know, here in Philadelphia, I say this on a city, state, and federal level, as long as black people continually, you know, being politically not educated and keep voting for these individual black men and women who don't have our interests at heart, nothing's going to change. I mean, that's just the harsh. Dr. Horn, if we'd be around 50 years from now, we'd still be having these conversations because as long as you keep voting for that kind of in the Negroes that they don't have our interests at heart, things are never going to change. It's like definitely insanity. You keep hitting your head up against the wall and wonder why blood keep coming out. Well, you know, you keep doing the same thing over and over again, expect a different result. That's the definition of insanity. And yet we keep on keep voting for these individuals and, and stuff, and we wonder while our schools is, 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 is going to hell in a handbasket. I mean, think about this, Dr. Horn. Biden can sit there and find, and you alluded to this when you first came on with Brother Ellie and Brother Richard. He, Biden can, can't find nothing that, 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 that for, for, for the black community, no, no, no money. They can always cry fire when it comes to finding money to fund black schools and black communities and stuff. They, they, the, no money is there. They can't find money. They can't find money to strengthen Social Security. They can't find money to, to, to finance social programs. But miraculously, Joe Biden finds $33 million for Ukraine. 
I mean, the, see, you never know with the white man. He always finds money for his war game, whether it's the start of war, whether it's Iraq, Afghanistan. He can find money for that. He can find money to give to a, a, a European ally like Ukraine, but he can't find money for, for black men and women. Like you said, out in L.A., you got black homeless people dying. And the sad part about it, Dr. Horn, you got black, these white politicians like Biden and his Republican allies. They love to talk about thank you to your service. For, the, for these military people. Or many of these black men, I'm sure, that's dying out there in L.A. that's homeless. I bet you a lot of them, Dr. Horne, is former military people that serve this country. But yet they land out there homeless, you know, got make pipe post, post uh, trauma, well, all that kind of stuff. And they're out there dying, being homeless. But yet you, you can find $33 million for Ukraine. I mean, you know, it's just the, 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 the madness just goes on and on and on, Dr. Horn, you know. And that's all I wanted to say. Just, 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 you know, get that off my chest, Dr. Horn, and, and express that to you. That's all. Amen. I appreciate it. Uh, that was very enlightening, very educational. And I hope that the audience takes what you say to heart and decide to run for office or at least start politically organizing. I, I agree. I agree, Dr. Horn. Well, thank you, Brother Elliot and Richard. And, and I'll, I'll put me on mute, Elliot, and listen to the rest of the show. Thanks for your contribution. You're welcome. Let's go to 267. 267? 267? Let's put them on hold. Let's go to 646. 646? Hey, what's going on, Richard Elliott and the great, illustrious Dr. Gerald Hall? You know, yes, Dr. Gerald Hall, now, I, I must say, you are one of my favorite historians. I go back with you many, many years with the great Playtel Benjamin or WBAI after midnight with y'all, as Playtel would say, dropping the science. But I have just heard you say something that I have to disagree with you. Telling my brother Joe that we need to get out there and elect some politicians. For what? For what? For what? So that they could become rich. Family members could become rich. Their lobbyist buddies could become rich, and the community suffer. Let's be very clear on something, sir, and you know this. And believe me, I'm not saying it to be as critical or anything of you, because I know you're a truth teller. There is not a functioning black community in this country that has a representative that is black. Jim Clapper, your girl that you just talked about, Maxine Waters, is a prime example of what happens with black politicians. They get in office, been in office over 20, 30 years. The community disappears, and they become rich, and their family members can become rich. For whatever reason, I don't understand how the woman gets back in office. I can't, I can't understand it. Now, I live in Harlem, lived in Harlem all my life. Charlie Wrangell was my representative. The man absolutely destroyed Harlem by giving these crazy Negroes what they think they need and deserve, the empowerment zone, which was nothing but a way for white folks to come in and take over. We the only people who go along with this type of sugar honey iced tea 
and allow for a politician to bring in a program that should be for the benefit of the community and allow white folks to come in and take over and displace you. We're the only ones who do that. And it's absolutely at a point to now, which you said earlier, I'm sorry to say it, but you know, I heard a brother earlier today said that in the next 43 years, black people in this country are gonna be finished. And you know something, I think it'll be the next 30. Because I'll use this example, and I know this because I watched you this week on a part of his network, Black Star Network, Roland Martin thing. Now, just listen to this, Dr. Horn, right quick, and I'll make it quick. Here it is. You have Roland Martin, who I have issues with, you know, but I watch his show every day. He always talking and bigging up his fraternity. Alpha Phi style, whatever that garbage is. I think it's trash. I'm going to be straight up front about it. Now, here it is. He's asking black folks to download his app. He needs 50,000 people to download his app. And this is the problem with our people and how we don't take care of each other. Now, I know that his fraternity have more than 50,000 members. Now, they're supposed to be a brotherhood, right? So here it is. I'd like to know, with him being one of the most noticeable fraternity members in that fraternity, why every fraternity member in his so-called brother hasn't downloaded his app and support him with $10 a month. We're not even talking about having their family members and other members of their family supporting the app, which would then, if we were really about our business as a community and didn't love white folks as much as we do and want to be a part of their sickness and madness, we would then be in the position that the divine non, who I would say, have at least a million, a million members in this country, maybe less, maybe more. If all of them downloaded his act based on brotherhood, fraternities and sororities, and gave him $10 a year, because these Negroes, most of them, go out there and spend $8, $9 a day on Starbucks. If they were to give him ten dollars for the year, now I I I I spend ten dollars on a sandwich and more. Now, if we were to come together and do that, he would then be in the position to make the type of moves to be in the strip position to put pressure on these advertisers who he's begging to give him advertisement money, and then put people like Elliot and other media, black organizations, in the position to put that type of pressure on them. But we don't operate on that level. And you expect us to move forward as African people? And that's a brotherhood. 
that's supposed to be, as far as I'm concerned, in the black community, the most structured brotherhood other than that pork chop chicken eating church, and the church don't even do it. So how are we going to move forward, Dr. Horn, if we can't even support somebody who would put black people in the position to have information and to move forward to be able to branch out and have other people be in the position to give forward information. Hello? Dr. Horn? Oh, okay. Well, I mean, the point is well taken. With regards to, to politics, I think that politics is a process and to get where we need to go, we're going to have to start running people for office like Elliot Booker, for example. But not only Elliot Booker, but there's going to have to be a movement behind Elliot Booker. And that's the difference between the politics that I'm suggesting and the politics that has now led us to the point of crisis. Negro scared of Elliot Booker. Well, you the know Negro, what? The, the Negro, the Negro scared of Elliot. No, seriously, the everyday working Negro is scared to death of Elliot Booker because they think he's gonna do something to white folk. Come on, man. Let's no, let's no, stop no. playing this game about if Elliot come out with a concrete, precise plan to move the community forward, to reinvest and do all those things. Negro wouldn't even back him. That's real. I mean, we we in a position well, right now, to be honest with you, that we have to change our minds culturally and we have to change our minds economically or we go perish. We really, seriously. And you know this, Dr. Horn, because I've been listening to you for over 20, 30 years, man. You're probably the most honest out of all of these cats. And, and I mean, I understand, you know, that, you don't want to make it as fatal as it is, but it's that bad. It did on top of that. The beautiful thing about you, Dr. Horn, is this. At least you honest and you tell the truth about what's going on in Ukraine. You can't even get these Negroes in media to admit that it's America's fault that this war is going on because of their devilment and all of that. Only country in the world only country in the world that I know of that have multiple military bases around the world. Could you name me another country that have multiple military bases around the world? I can't think of any. You are correct. The United States is unique. And in fact, if you've been following the news, you probably caught the story about the Solomon Islands the islands off the coast of northeastern Australia, where people who are referred to as Melanesian reside, 800,000 of them. Uh, that is to say that they look like yourself and myself. They just tried to work out an arrangement with China to get foreign aid, and the United States reacted ballistically. They sent a top delegation there to twist their arms. They closed their embassy there years ago. Now they're about to re insert their embassy, and don't be surprised that the regime was overthrown sooner rather than later. Speak that truth, brother. But but we, America, 
are about what's that beautiful word that they don't even practice in this country that they try to use around the world? Democracy. Democracy. I think they get off on it when they say it. Democracy. They can't even give people of color, black folks, and and, and, and just poor white trash democracy in this country, man. I mean, it's just a hypocrisy and a joke. But I'd like to say thank you, Dr. Horn. You know why, man? Because with all of your greatness and all that you do, man, you're the only person out here that speaks this truth. There's others, you know, like when you go on Wilma Leon, Elliot's, and other programs like this, but you're the only one who consistently speak that truth. And you know something? That's why you never see you on CNN or NBC. I would pay money. I would pay money to see you on Morning Joe one day to smoke that behind. That's what I would pay money for, and I'm cheap. I'm telling you straight up, I ain't paying for nothing if I don't have to. I would love to see you go head-to-head with Joe Scarborough and his devilish wife. And matter of fact, if you could do one thing for me, if it ever happened, tell him how his father-in-law was, Zygmunt Brzezinski, was a warmonger and piece of European trash. Put me on mute, Elliot. Thanks for your contribution. Dr. Horn. Oh, you want me to speak to Zbigniew Brzezinski, the late national security advisor under Jimmy Carter in the 1970s, the architect of the fiasco in Afghanistan that led directly to 9-11-2001? Your caller is correct. If he were alive, he might have to stand trial in a war crimes tribunal or certainly have to apologize profusely at least. Dr. Horn, before before we kind of start winding things down, uh, Richard, um, the the uh, caller raised a uh, concern about what Dr. Horn had mentioned about uh, being involved in politics. Now, if you look at Dr. Horn's record and what he's always been talking about, I know that Dr. Horn is not talking about being involved in the politics that we see now and being involved in following the track record of black politicians that have been in office since about 50 years, since uh, the the convention of 72. That has caused us problems. If we are under attack, and not if we are, being that we are, we have to develop organized leadership and I think when you mention that word leadership, Dr. Horn, a lot of people, their minds automatically goes to Democrat and Republican because that's what we see. But it's clear to me that the leadership has to, that, uh, that needs to be developed and is being developed because we can see the reaction from white society about any type of organizing among black people. It's always been a concern and a fear. They know that this fear, this fear is real, and they did, did the the uh, the organizing that's happening among our people. It's not happening on a, in, on a a more uniform basis. It could be happening more uniformly, 
but the organization is happening. Richard, talk about it from your perspective and what you see. Well, I mean, basically, even locally, um, individuals that are young, I mean, I would say the ones that I see that are in 30s where they're out there and, and putting putting their time in, it's just as every everyone is saying, um, it requires more of us being engaged. Exactly. But, you know, but the thing, you know, and this is where, and, and, and you know, as I hear us uh, praise you, Dr. Horn, I think that um, what we're recognizing we need clearer analysis, strategic understand, historical strategic understanding of what it is that has happened, is happening, so we can make better choices of what should happen. And that is the work that you do um, provides that. But if we're not engaged in that, if we're engaged in <clears throat> this this commercialism of game, not game theory, but gaming you know, it's all about sensationalism, then we're um, we're only watching people considered compared to creating power uh, um, amongst our people. And that's my concern um, based off of, especially from the work that you've done, because you've seen um, Black people, um, you used Ro um, Paul Robeson earlier and, and how he did go to the UN and, and, and you know, and others to make that case that's that's a power move that's not um watching somebody that's you know and that's using historical analysis and the consequences from that i just uh and i see young people out here now doing that um and others um like yourself preparing because as i heard you say before in your work the research is so i mean i don't know how you do it really I, and i don't mean to go off but the, the the detail of the work from the places that you have to go to get the actual documents that make the case of what is said. So it isn't about opinion. It is based off of the historical records that are there of how these folks work. It's so primary for the next generation. And I heard you say one time, so they don't have to do that. And I think that's important because it's all over the place. And I, I just want to use this opportunity to thank you again for that. Hey, that's my job. And what I'm trying to do basically is trying to leave an understanding of this country and of our people that the next generation and coming generation, speaking optimistically, will be able to benefit from so that they don't have to do the work sometime in the next uh, half century, because I've already done the work. And so uh, I'm optimistic. I, I think that we can turn the situation in Ukraine around. I think that we can get in alignment with the Caribbean community and the African Union. And I would like to reiterate, I'd like to see Brother Elliot Bookers throw his hat into the ring. Uh-oh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> hey, say, say you're going to get him out there. No. Uh yeah. Get the time for awakening on you say, I'm going to leave that alone. I'll leave you alone, Elliot. Hopefully, you know, the, the, the things that me and Richard try to do is is uh, enlightening young folks' mind to organize. And listen, the, the folks that we've had on the program in the past, some of the ones that we tend to have on in the future, it's clear that it's organizing going on out here. But we just try to provide a conduit so people can hear that it's other organizing and that we don't have to stand on the sideline like Cynthia McKinney said in that, collage I play. 
We don't have to be the ones standing there watching Kuta Kente get beat and just watching. We can get involved. Right on. Dr. Horn, I want to thank you for joining us in, in conversation tonight. I'm always pull at you and, and get you to come on and give us some perspectives and enlightenment on things that's happening and give us an historical perspective on uh, what we need to do because history is our best teacher and it kind of guide, it should guide our steps moving forward. Well, thank you for inviting me. And uh, listen, the last time you were on, I promised to get you on to talk about the the, uh, the, the boxing uh, book that you did oh, because yeah. that's always been close. I, 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 that's my Achilles heel. I love boxing, and I, I'll get you back on because we got to talk about that among hey, other, among hey, other well. things because you got to, you bring out a book every month or every week, so it's it's so many subjects that we can touch on. It, it, it's always be interesting. Yeah, and 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 uh, let, let me because I heard um, heard you say. All right, are you doing a book on Texas, or are you already? Yeah, it, it, it'll drop in about three weeks. See, you see uh, what I'm talking about, Richard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm, looking for, I'm looking forward to that. And also, um, we got to have a, a future discussion about this governor in Florida. Based off oh, of man. this guy is something, you know. Yeah, it's the next Trump. You, you know what? Listen, before you go. Uh, Dr. Horn, give us a little perspective. Um, Richard had brought it up to me, and then I've been kind of following it uh, about these states that's pushing for this uh, constitutional convention. Oh, yeah. And and that's another thing that we talked about about black elected officials not alerting their constituents, a la the black public, about what is happening now. I think they need two-thirds of the states to go along. Out of the 50 states, I think they need 34 right. to force a constitutional convention. And so far, I think they have, what, 31 or something like that, Richard, last check? 19 and, and, and the others are in, in play. Yeah, I think it's it, uh, uh, it's like 10 states that's in play. So that it's potentially they'll get the numbers maybe within the next couple of years. In fact, after this midterm election, they may get the numbers next year. What does that mean for black folks in this country with the legislation that can? You already see them trying to change legislation now, and they always played a three-card molly game with black people's so-called rights in this country anyway. But talk about what that would mean uh, uh, as far as the laws, as far as black life in this country talk about it from your perspective dr horn i don't know whether you kind of looked at that I've, I've been looking at it since richard mentioned it to me well it would obviously be a disaster i mean because a constitutional convention i mean who knows i don't want to sound alarmist nor do i want to sound absurd but theoretically they could say you know black people need to be enslaved or re-enslaved exactly I, mean, I don't mean the de facto enslavement of 20th and 21st century i mean actual enslavement of the 17th, 18th, and 19th century. So this is, these are the stakes. Now, let me say that after we gain influence, and I'll say this straight up, after our side gains influence, that'll be the time to hold a constitutional convention, and then we'll rewrite the Constitution to suit our needs. But now is not the time because we don't have the strength, <laughs> we don't have the forces, we don't have the influence. Mm. Yeah, but we do, as, 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 as you know, and I always point to the leadership because it's important. And Europeans, by and large, know leadership is important. 
That's why they made a concerted effort to pick, to pick black leaders. It was a time there that they really wasn't concerned about black people organizing in their leadership, especially during the maybe late 50s, early 60s when uh, Dr. King and Malcolm, they came basically from the grassroots. They weren't chosen by whites. In fact, they didn't know what they were doing, and the next thing you know, they were out here talking and organizing. And during the 60s, you had a lot of grassroots organizing and leadership being developed. I think white folks went behind the doors and they made decisions that they weren't going to wasn't going to let this type of stuff happen anymore, that they were going to pick black leaders. And by and large, they have been successful in picking black leadership. But we don't have to sit back and allow it. We don't have to always say, oh, in 40 years, we're not going to exist and all that. We've been here for thousands of years, long before Europeans ever became civilized. So all of a sudden we're going to disappear in 40 years. Uh, you know, it, it's black folks out there saying that type of stuff, but to me it's foolishness. Our people are going to be here. It's time for us to get serious about developing leadership to move our people forward. We not only need leadership here, we need leadership in the mother continent because this country is, is putting black folk puppets in government, whether it's here or there. They're putting people in leadership positions that they'll feel that they feel as though is, is uh, favorable to them. So the ball is in our court. What do we do? Sit back and complain or get to work? Dr. Hall, thanks for being with us. I'm going to sign off, but thank you again for inviting me. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Horn. All right, now. All right. Good luck to you. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Richard, um... You know, before we leave, um, you know, I, I played that clip about, the, you know, the, the black homeless, and you can kind of see it on uh, YouTube, confronting Maxine Waters when she came out to try to disperse the crowd and, and uh, uh, tell them to go home. And the woman said, "We go home where? We don't have a home. And you could see from that, Urban League report, and we reached out for the listening audience to uh, uh, Mark Moriel, and he mentioned that they were probably this month, which is in May, that they would be available to come on the program. So I want to try to get one of them on, either him or some of the authors of that uh, report, to talk about the individual aspects of that report, Richard, that lead to the quality of life for black people in this country, to lead them to the conclusion that uh, that black people were, were in, in uh, a, a grim position as far as this government is concerned and what they have done to black people. So, you know, when when I, I mentioned about the homeless thing in Los Angeles, 8% of the population of Los Angeles is black, but over 40% is homeless. And let me read this, Richard, because I, you made a comment to me in private conversation in reference to this. Let me let me read this. This came from a published report in January in the uh, Atlanta Black Star. And I'm going to just read a couple paragraphs here that I think uh, is uh, Jermaine will be talking about. And it's entitled Atlanta Homelessness. Young black people love them some Atlanta. I've heard it called the Mecca for young black professionals. Believe it or not, there have 
even been comparisons to the fictional city of Wakanda. There is no question Atlanta is a bustling city. It is one of the fastest growing cities in America. According to the U.S. Census, Atlanta grew by more than 75,000 people in 2019 alone. With 52% of Atlanta's population being black, one could assume all this growth means black folks in Atlanta should be winning. But sadly, they are not. The perception is not the reality. Atlanta is plagued with economic disparities, all of which have a devastating effect on black families in the city. According to the Atlanta Wealth Building Initiative, the city of Atlanta leads the nation in income inequality and lack of economic mobility. The median income per household for a white family in Atlanta is $83,722 compared to $28,105 for a black family. Among more affluent African-American communities, Black families are less likely to have access to cash or savings, according to the Atlanta Wealth Building Initiative. About 70% of black families in Atlanta are liquid asset poor, compared to 22% of white families. They tell you to come to Atlanta if you're black and you want to make a come up. But what they don't mention is the folks coming up in Atlanta are white. According to the Atlanta Regional Commission, the highest paid industries in Metro Atlanta are all dominated by white workers. The disparities start at a very young age and continue through adulthood. Black people in Atlanta make less money than their white counterparts no matter the education level. According to Biz Journals, the gap in earnings is the greatest among those with bachelors, masters, and professional degrees. You hear that, Richard? Yeah. How can Atlanta be Wakanda when almost 86% of its homeless population is black? There are about 50,000 kids enrolled in the the city's public school systems. About 3,000 of them are homeless. Atlanta's false claims to be a place for black prosperity is nothing more than a ruse to keep black dollars pouring into the city. Income inequality, lack of economic mobility, homelessness, all breed poverty, which leads to violence. Political leaders get to use violence to secure their votes and win their elections. Meanwhile, black people in Atlanta are told that the hustle and the grind lead to success. That's a lie. Now, this is from a published report, Richard. Yeah. So we we see one thing on the television, especially for people that don't live there. But then the stark reality of of these things tell us something different. See, that's what I'm talking about, about the use of media. I agree. These white folks play a game with black folks with these images in front of them, and some people buy into it. Like a mirage in the desert, you see in all kind of water, and there's nothing there but sand and dirt. Compared to seeing sand and dirt and saying, I'm going to build an aqueduct so that we can water it. But uh, wait a minute. 
Mm-hmm. That's a great idea, but it takes leadership and it takes organization. There you go. Or, or Richard, we can just stand and say, oh, man, it's no water here. We're going we're gonna to die. And if you don't do anything, you will die. Right. That's the, uh, that's, the, that's the dichotomy that we face. We can sit here and say, oh, in 40 years, we ain't going to be here and all types of foolish conversations, or we can get busy doing something. What does that line say in that movie? Uh, uh, get busy living or get busy dying. Before we leave today, just let me give the line up on time for an awakening media. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, African, African Perspectives with Brother Oshi. 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Always interesting guests and dialogue on African Perspectives. That's what Brother Oshi is host from 8 to 9. Later on Monday evening, Black Therapy Central with host Dr. Maria Kambon and Dr. Kamal Kambon. And from 9 to 10, Conversation Reparations. That's in Cobra's program with host Brother Jamoke on Tuesday, 8 to 10 p.m. Black Reality Think Tank with Dr. William Rogers as host. On Wednesday, it's our time, the Black Georgia, the Black Farmers uh, and Black Georgia Cooperative, West Georgia Cooperative, I'm sorry, from uh, 8 to 9 and from 9 to 10, the Black Agenda Report with Dr. David Muhammad. On Friday, Time for an Awakening is back from 8 until and on Saturdays from 7 to 9 p.m., the elders of Sankofa with Brother Alfonso Watkins as host. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion as always, and we'll be back on Friday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. If you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon, or you want your children playing after school They seem to be
Children. To save the children. 